Hi, nonprofiteers. Welcome to Nonprofit Biz Talk with your host, Tracy V. Allen, nonprofit strategist. Nonprofit Biz Talk is about giving you the knowledge, skills, strategies, and concepts to manage, build, and grow a nonprofit organization that will positively impact the community you serve. Hello, welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Biz Talk with your host, me, Tracy V. Allen. This is episode number two, and it is entitled Seven Ways You Can Lose Your Nonprofit Status. Nonprofit Biz Talk is about giving you some skills and strategies that you can use to propel your organization to the next level. So let's get started. Okay, so the first thing that you want to do when you are trying to stay compliant is you want to make sure you comply with state and federal reporting guidelines. That's number one, making sure that you're complying with state and federal guidelines. And every state is different. The federal guidelines are all the same, but every state is different. Some states um, say that you have to report yearly if you make a certain amount of money. Other states don't um, want you to report if, you know, you don't make a certain amount of money. So it depends. You have to know your state rules and regulations and make sure that you're staying in compliance with that. If your reporting is once a year and they ask you for certain forms, make sure you, you're keeping accurate records so you can produce those documents at the end of the year so that you can stay compliant on the state level. On the federal level, you know you're um, filling out the form 990, depending on the type of money you make, depends on which form 990 you're filling out. So it could be the form 990, form 990EZ, or the form 990N, or the card, the 990 card. So if you don't make any money at all, you can send in the card. If you make under $50,000 in some states, they allow you to... um, Fill out the 990 easy. If you make over that, then you need to fill out the longer form, which is the 990. There are certain things that they ask you to prove on there. Um, and you have to make sure you're staying in compliance with that as well. So make sure that your rec- your reporting is on point and that you're doing it every year. If you fail to do it, you will lose your status. If you have not reported to the federal government for three consecutive years, you will have your status revoked. Okay. Number two is not maintaining the required level of public support. So uh, that usually makes people go, huh? What are you talking about? So when you're talking about maintaining the required level of public support, remember you are a public charity. So therefore, you need public support to stay in business. Again, you are a business as well. So you need to have a diverse stream of income. And I've done um, trainings on diverse streams of income for nonprofit organizations. If you have not watched it, you need to. And I'm going to do another one anyway. But um, diverse streams of income when it says to maintain public support means that one of the things that your organization has to have 
is donations from individuals within your community. You cannot run your, even though we, I, we keep saying that it is a business and it is a business, all of your income from your organization cannot be earned income. You must have individual donations because it is a public charity and you have to prove that you're out there soliciting help from the community in order to stay afloat. So again, um, not maintaining the required level of public support will get your status revoked, okay? That's number two. Number three, withholding, not withholding the proper taxes or other deductions from employee payroll. Again, you are a business. And as a business, you have to operate as a business. So all of your employees within your organization cannot be 990, I'm sorry, oh, hit me 990. All of your employees within your um, organization cannot be 1099, employees. You have to have staff that is working full time. So the difference between a pay, a regular paid staff member and a 1099, a 1099 person doesn't have regular hours, set hours, and a set job description every week. Now, you need to get in contact with a person who's a uh, specialty is human resources so that you can make sure that you're in compliant, make sure you talk to your department of labor. But if you have a regular employee who comes in and works like a nine to five job with you and you are not um, withholding the proper state and federal taxes and Medicare taxes and all of that stuff from their um paychecks, then you are not going to be in compliance and you can have your status revoked. Also, remember when you do that, Excuse me. <laughs> when you do that, oh my God, allergies. Sorry. Um, when you do that, you also have to make sure that you're paying the organization's portion to the state and to the federal government. So not withholding the proper taxes and other deductions from your employees will get your status revoked. That's number three. Number four, not using a formal process for approved salaries. So a lot of nonprofit founders who then become executive directors, they're transitioning from their full-time jobs into the nonprofit organization. And they want to come in and they want to make sure that they're making what they made at their full-time job or more. Depending on the state that you live in will determine how much you can get paid for your services. So going through the formal process of looking at the medium salary for the position that you hold within the organization, making sure that your board approves it, that's part of it, going towards your board, making sure that your board members approve the salary and the salary is not an egregious amount of money. So you can't leave your job in a state that pays on average, say $35,000, $40,000 for a management position and then transition into your nonprofit organization and no matter how much your nonprofit organization is making, want to bring in a $100,000 salary. It, your salary is determined not only by the medium salary for that position in your state, but the size of your organization and the amount of money that your organization is making. So if, for instance, if your organization is making, say, $250,000 per year, your salary cannot be $150,000. Your salary cannot be $100,000. It can be $40,000 or $50,000. 
depending on the state you're in. But it cannot be an egregious amount, and you have to make sure you go through the, the formal process where you have your minutes that prove that the board sat, discussed your salary, and this is what they um, they decided on. And it has to be a part of your budget. It has to be, you know, you have projected budgets for three years. You have projected budgets for the year. Your That salary has to fit into that projected budget. So your salary cannot be eating up most of the budget. Okay. So that's number three. I'm sorry. That's number four, not um, using formal process to approve salaries. Number five, not conducting mission centered activities. So again, like I always say, everything that you do in your organization has to be mission-centered. If it is not mission-centered, then you are not working in compliance. You're out of compliance. Everything you do must be mission-centered. Like I said yesterday, if you are in doubt, ask yourself, does this relate directly to my mission? If your answer is no, then you don't do it. If you're unsure when you answer the question, if it is mission-centered, you may need to do some more research, some more planning to make sure that the activity that you're about to participate in is, in fact, mission-centered. If it is not mission-centered, do not do it. What happens when you do activities that are not mission-centered? You're participating in UBIT, and that's unrelated business income tax or unrelated business income, if you just want to call it UB, right? So unrelated business income, and I've done a bunch of training on unrelated business income. Unrelated business income is if an example, so you own a dance studio and every year you put on two performances that you charge the community for, um, to showcase what your organization has done. That is perfectly fine. That is within the scope of your mission. Now, if you take your dance studio and there's a church that needs a space to rent and you're not using your dance studio, let's say on Sunday, and you decide to rent it out to or sublease it out to a church, you're participating in UBIT because that's not mission centered. It has nothing to do with your mission and you are gaining money from it and that can cause you to lose your status or and cause you to have to pay taxes on that income. So if you participate in unrelated business income tax activities, you will have to pay taxes on that income regardless of the fact that you're a nonprofit organization and you're tax exempt. Okay? So that's number five. And number six, engaging in lobbying and political campaign activities. You do not, as a nonprofit organization, want to be overly politically affiliated. Now you can go to a meeting, you can march, but you don't want to do it under the premise of or the heading of the nonprofit organizations. Your nonprofit organization should really try to stay as neutral as possible. Um, I'm talking specifically about 501c3 organizations. There are other nonprofit organizations who are allowed to do some type of lobbying and that type of stuff, but not a 501c3 public charity in a community that's there to serve the better purpose of, you know, the community. You want to stay away from lobbying. You want to stay away from endorsing. Definitely do not endorse any candidate. Okay. You cannot do that. You are at that point, not in compliance. So do not do that. Just stay away from politics. Don't talk about it. Just do your thing and keep it to yourself, basically. <laughs> um, 
Number seven, so that was number six, not engaging in lobbying and political activity campaigns. Number seven is operating for private interest. Okay. So when I talk about operating for private interest, remember I said you are a public charity. You are not a privately owned entity. This is not your baby. Like a lot of people like to say, this is not your baby. This is a public charity that is owned by no one. You formulated, good morning, you formulated this charity because you saw a deficit in the community that you wanted to fill. So you are not going to participate in private interest activities, which means you're not going to employ all of your family members, your brother, your sister, your mother, your father, your son, your daughter, your grandparents. This is not a privately owned company. When you want to do that and you want to build out that type of legacy where it passes down from one person to the next person to the next person, you need to have an LLC or C Corp or something like that. Now, I'm not saying that you cannot have any family members working in your organization, but they cannot be in managerial positions. They should not be in managerial positions. They can come in and they can help out. Um, you cannot pay them outrageous amounts of money. Uh, it's just, it's very, try to stay above board by remembering that this is a publicly owned charity. It is not your private um, organization. That's what an LLC is for, okay? Uh, people constantly ask about passing down their nonprofit organization to their children. That is up to your board. If your board thinks that your child is, say you should pass away or you retire, and your board thinks that your child is professional, has a professional training and knowledge in order to sit um, as the uh, executive director or CEO, whatever you want to call it, depending on how big your organization is. And I really, that's a pet peeve of mine is when people call themselves the CEO of nonprofits, especially startups. You're not the CEO, you're really the executive director. CEOs are, are people who are executive directors of nonprofit organizations that make millions and millions and millions of money you're just making under $50,000. But that's neither here nor there. Just make sure that you are operating above board when it comes to private interest. So that means that you should not be renting space from board members because that's like kickback. So that's illegal. You should not be paying your board members. They should actually be donating to the organization. Board members are... Um, they are a volunteer position. They decided that they wanted to help you to create this nonprofit and to foster change within the community. So those are the seven things. Let me go over them one more time. So the number one thing is do um, if you don't comply with state and federal reporting guidelines, you will lose your nonprofit status. That means, again, that you're doing your yearly filing on the federal and state levels. So every year you have to file your reports, state and federal. Every state is different. On the federal level, it's the 990, okay? Whether it's 990EZ and 990N. The second thing you want to do to prevent you from you um, losing your nonprofit status is maintaining the required level of public support. Remember, you are a public charity and a portion of your revenues for your nonprofit organization must come from individual donors, must, Okay, so if you are a person who doesn't like to fundraise, then you need to make sure that you have someone on staff who is enthusiastic about fundraising. Okay, because um, uh, 
like I said, a portion of your revenue must come from public charity, from public um, donations, individual donations. Number three is not withholding the proper taxes and deductions from your employees. Remember, all of your employees cannot be nine, um, 1099 employees. You must have a full-time employee unless you are the only person who's really working on a daily basis and the rest of the people are volunteers. Number four, not using a formal process to approve salaries. So like I said, you cannot come from your $30,000 a year job and think that you're going to come over to your nonprofit organization and you're going to be making $60,000 a year. If $60,000 a year is not the medium salary in your community, your town, your state for that position, you cannot come over to a nonprofit that's making $100,000 a year in revenue and collect $60,000 a year as your salary. That is illegal. You are not going to be in compliance and you will have your status revoked for that. And probably some fines too. Uh, number five is not conducting mission-centered activities. I, uh, I talked about UBIT. So everything that you do must stay mission-centered. Ask yourself that question. Is this activity directly related to my mission. If it's not related to your mission, then you don't want to do it. It's just that simple. If the answer is no, don't do it. If you're not sure, go back to the drawing board, do some more research before you participate in that activity. Because if you are found to be doing UBIT activities, unrelated business income tax activities, you can be taxed for the uh, revenue you make and you can have your status revoked. Number six, engaging in lobbying and political campaigns. Just stay away from politics. That's it. Just stay away from it and you'll be fine. <laughs> and then number seven, operating for private interest. So this is not your personal baby. It is not as much as I am. I like that people are passionate about what they're going to do. But remember, this is not your LLC. This is not run by Tracy V. Allen. This is a publicly owned entity. And therefore, I have to abide by state and federal guidelines when it comes to how I pay myself, how I pay other people, you know, how I engage in financial matters, especially as a nonprofit organization. So that's it. Those are the seven ways you can lose your nonprofit status. You don't do them. You're going to be fine. Do the um, things that you're supposed to do and you'll be okay. But I think the one thing here that sticks out the most to me that causes people, well, actually two things that sticks out the most to me that causes people to lose their status is not complying with the reporting guidelines. People forget that they have to report every single year. So they don't do that. They get their status revoked after three consecutive years, like I said before, and you don't report to the federal government, they revoke your status. And it's hard to get it back because they're looking at you sideways um, when you come back to apply because they're trying to figure out, well, you've had it three years, you didn't report it, and all of a sudden you want it back. So be careful with that. A lot of people conduct UBIT activities. So be very, very cognizant of UBIT. You do not want to participate in that. Um, and I think that's a lack of education because people just really don't understand what they should be doing and what they should not be doing. And again, the example I gave, if you are an arts nonprofit and part of your thing is um, an art gallery, 
you know, you're, you're teaching people how to paint, you're teaching them how to dance, whatever it is. And once or twice or three times a year, every quarter, you decide that you're going to put on a show, you're going to charge the public for it. That's revenue generation for your organization. And that's a good way to show the community what you're doing and garner more support for those activities. That is absolutely fine. Now, if you're renting out the space to a church on Sunday, that is not okay. It is not around your mission. It has nothing to do with your mission and you will have your status revoked or be charged taxes for the revenue you generate, which is not worth it. It just kind of nullifies your tax exempt status. Okay. And then operating um, for private interests. I find a lot of people want to make it a family affair and it really isn't. You are there to serve the community. You want to make sure that you have people on board that are going to help you to get to the next level with this organization and make a serious impact in the community. All right. So that's it. Those are the seven ways you can lose your nonprofit status. Um, Again, my name is Tracy V. Allen. I'm a nonprofit strategist. I'm also the owner of TVA Consulting, where I help nonprofit leaders develop the systems and processes needed to build a compliant and profitable and sustainable infrastructure so that they can achieve their mission and realize their vision. Basically put, we help people put the pieces together to make sense because if it doesn't make sense, it just does not work. And if you really are interested in making sure that you are educated in things that you should and should not do for your nonprofit, skills and concepts to help you to get to the next level, then you want to join the nonprofit university. The link is in the bio section, not the bio section, the description section of this uh, broadcast. Go ahead and click it. It's only $27 a month. Uh, There are about 25 trainings in there currently. Most of them come with some type of worksheet or workbook. I am there to support you, answer questions. Every month we have accountability calls where you're able to ask me different questions and get the answers that you need. So again, if you are really serious about growing and building your nonprofit organization the right way, go ahead and click the link in the bio. All right. Have a great day. Okay, nonprofiteers, that's it for today. Thank you for joining us. And remember that there's someone in your community counting on the services that your nonprofit organization offers, and it is your job to make sure that you get it right. Until next time, I'm Tracy V. Allen.